Hi, my name is Dale Varon. I'm the CEO for Fortune Bay Corp. We are an exploration development company. We listed on the TSXV under the symbol FRR and also trade in Frankfurt and on the OTCQX. Our, we have th uh, three sort of buckets of projects. Our flagship asset is our Goldfields project in Saskatchewan. That's an advanced gold project where we've just completed a PEA with a robust set of e economics. Right near our gold project in Saskatchewan, we have our two uranium projects. These have potential for these high-grade Athabasca Basin uranium deposits and drilling, initial drilling last year showed uranium in the right rock types uh, and potential looks great for discovery on those projects. And then we also have an asset in Mexico that's a copper gold project. It's got a gold resource on it in an epithermal deposit, but also a large porphyry system that hasn't yet been explored. Dale, thank you very much for the introduction. Good to speak to you. Um, uh, a lot going on in the company. Uh, let's start off with the Goldfields project, uh, the PEA they put out last year. Um, a terrible year for, for gold last year. Um, torrid time in the market, both in terms of metal price and also sentiment. Um, you actually, I think, put your um, PEA out pretty much at the bottom of both of those kind of dips, the metal price and the um, and, and the sentiment. Um, can you just let let's just kind of re review last year and the PEA, please? Yeah, so a busy year for us. You know, obviously in terms of timing, one never knows where exactly the market's going to move. But we 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 stuck to our plan and did, did the study, the PEA. We we released that um, early November. Um, and we did a, you know, the base case there was 1650 US dollars an ounce for the project. And uh, it's an open pit PA and it produced at that 1650 gold price an uh, after tax NPV of $285 million and a uh, IRR of 35%. Obviously, today, uh, you know, a few months later, things have changed radically in the gold market. You know, we've seen the gold price move up to today sitting at $19.20 an ounce. And that's that's near our upside case for our, our PEA, which you know the PEA would now produce at at well at $19.50 and in after-tax NPV of $460 million and an IRR of just over 50%. So that's those are some exceptional uh, sort of numbers there, really compelling. Uh, it's a, you know we're really pleased with the, this PEA I believe it's a robust study. And uh, obviously not getting the credit on the market for it yet. Well, and how can you explain that? I mean, I, I know that always uh, a junior company will trade at a discount to NPV, but uh, that discount isn't normally whatever it is, 97%. Um, I mean, your market capitalization is 16 million Canadian. Um, so were those figures Canadian, those US um, or, or US? Yes, those are, uh, apart from the gold price, yes, the NPV figures are Canadian dollars. Canadian dollars. So, I mean, you're trading at this huge discount. Um, why is that, and how how do you break that discount? How do you how do you close that discount? Well, you know, firstly, I'd start by saying I don't think we're entirely alone. I think you know you've certainly seen the the gold producers respond to this increase in gold price, but you've certainly seen a lot of juniors still stagnate and haven't really necessarily turned the corner yet there. And I think that will come. Um, as we, you know, see the gold market stay at these levels or, or even improve further, um, you know, in terms of some of our peers in the space, you know, explorers, developers like us, we certainly trade at a significant discount. So I think you'll be hard pressed to find uh, a cheaper valuation based on a 
you know, EV per ounce basis. You know, we sit at around, you know, if we include our, both our gold project, uh, our gold fields project and our Mexican assets, you know, our EV, US dollar EV per ounce or resource per ounce is around four US dollars an ounce. If we just put gold fields alone and took the EV of the company, that gives us around $9 an ounce. And that's compared to a sort of peer average of around 30 to $40 an ounce. So we, we definitely trade a significant discount. And it's, you know, it's part of the reason I'm talking to you, Merlin, is that you know, we do need to get the story out there and get people to understand what we have in terms of our gold project and, and where it can go. You know, we think it's got, outside of this, those pure economics, it's, a, it's got a fantastic strip ratio. It's the best we've seen in Canada amongst open pit projects, a three to one strip ratio simple metallurgy, free milling gold, um, and it's in, a, it's in Saskatchewan. That's a fantastic uh, mining jurisdiction. It has infrastructure on sites. You know, we're near the historical mining town of Uranium City. There's a road to site. There's a hydro power line to site that's obviously not active at the moment, but can be used with refurbishment. And we have a valid, there's a historical valid development permit for the project. In other words, it's had a approved EIS environmental impact statement has, and has been screened previously by the government of Saskatchewan and been uh, approved for, for development. And that's an open, yeah. That permit is still valid, but the, the scope of the project has changed so much. You know, we've taken this project, it's been around for a while, we've improved it significantly through exploration and, and looking at a larger de gold development project. So the, the permit that was initially granted was for a smaller development. We're looking at something that's larger now. So we have to assess those changes and whether they can be done um, using the existing development permit under some amendments or if the project's going to require additional screening. But all told, you know, having a project that's already been through screening is advantageous and we expect it will facilitate the timeline toward construction and operations. I mean, it, um, thank you. Yeah, of course. I think once you, once it's in the in the system, once the environmental teams have looked over it and it's got a baseline, presumably the the the, the baseline data isn't going to change no matter what the uh, the scope of the project is. So I mean, that's that's an important aspect to have um, done right there. Um, it's 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 just really interesting, isn't it, that you're trading at such a discount to your peers? I mean, you've effectively said three to four times. Um, uh, potential closure of that discount. It, it, when I look at it on an NPV versus market cap basis, you know, you're trading at 4% of NPV or just under. Yeah, you know, certainly discount. And, you know, we've looked at, you know, some of these other open pit projects in Canada that have had studies done recently, you know, names like O3 Mining, Manita, Bonterra, Benchmark, Spanish Mountain, Maritime. And if you look at our project relative to those, you'll see that, you know, apart from the strip ratio, we've got among some of the lowest capex to get the project started, a $234 million capex that's Canadian. And that includes a $34 million contingency. So it's conservative to some degree, um, you know, highly competitive, all in sustaining cost around $889 US per ounce. Uh, the IRR, you know, at our base case sitting at 35% now, approaching 50%. These are compelling numbers. And if you look at our market cap relative to those peers, you know, we have a, a good robust set of economics here, but we haven't yet got the valuation. And it's really, for us, it's about getting that story out there and telling people what the project is, what we've done with it. Uh, people taking a look at that study, it's done by Senko and SRK, a reputable 
groups and, and moving that forward and getting that market recognition for the project. Um, I have seen a number of companies um, blanching or kind of not wanting to publish their technical studies in these high cost environments. I, I, I mean, um, just in the last couple of weeks, we've seen a number of the big guys, you know, the Rio Tintos and the, and the um, first quantums of this world saying that their capital costs and their operating costs are up 20%. Uh, do you, when you pull those capital numbers together and your operating cost benchmarks, for this study, which was done in the kind of in the in the hot period of inflation, uh, do you think you've uh, done enough to to uh, capture those higher costs and those uh, higher operating costs and those higher capital costs? In other words, are the numbers credible? Yeah, you know, absolutely, great question, and you know, the answer is yes. You know, we've we've baked in all those inflationary pressures that we saw last year. You know. We saw, you know, steel, labor, fuel in the region of 20 to 30 percent increases. Now that that was incorporated into those costs when we did the we did the benchmark and we did the the um, the capital costing. So those are all included, and it is advantageous for us. You know, I think as we see, in, you know, we've certainly seen a little bit of inflation since October, but inflation certainly slowing. So you know, our, our P is very much current with the inflationary pressures we've seen over the last while. And we believe those numbers are a realistic representation of, of what things would cost in today's terms. Interesting, interesting. And when I when I um when I looked through your um, list of opportunities at the back end of the PEA, a couple of things that uh, you uh, highlighted were metallurgy and and ore sorting. And I and I um, wanted to ask, you know, what do you see in the metallurgy that the potential gains on the recovery uh, or the operating costs? Um, and also, uh, how far have you gone down the ore sorting route? Yeah, so the, in terms of the metallurgy, you know, the, the recovery used in the PEA is a number of 95.3% gold recovery. We think there's room to increase that. Um, you know, certainly historically, we've seen the gravity side of the circuit um, test work done showing that up to 50% can come out through gravity. We've estimated that 25% coming out through gravity. Um, and, then, you know, we believe there are numerous improvements that can be made in the plant uh, to help increase that, that gold recovery. Um, on the, and, and what we really need there is some more test work. So as we move toward a PFS, getting some more material and doing some particularly variability testing. And that means testing um, rock samples from across the grade range and seeing where improvements can be made. So we think there's there's an opportunity there. On the ore sorting side, we did do some scoping work that was done with SRK um, prior to the PEA and at a more of a desktop level showed there that ore sorting could have improved project economics. Um, that was only desktop work. So as we move into, you know, toward a PFS here, it's something we want to relook at in more detail and actually do some physical testing of rock samples to see how ore sorting can um, improve the project. And that has it's a twofold effect. One, it can improve the economics from a, from a pure processing side, but also you reduce your tailings significantly. And that also has some cost benefits to it to have less tailings and obviously um, advantageous also from a permitting point of view. So it's certainly something we'd like to look at and we think the project is amenable um, to an all sorting process that requires. Will you be able to combine the, um, uh, the, the, the all sorting test work on the samples that you take for the metallurgy? Will you be able to uh, 
take one suite of samples across various geometries of your ore body, drill holes and bulk samples or whatever it is from surface, and use that both for metallurgy and for ore sorting. Yeah, we think you know, drilling some larger diameter holes, we can use those the core from those holes for both um, analyses. Obviously, both um, processes would be destructive, but we we could generate enough material from a single drilling program to to test all those scenarios. Plus, you know, we do have a lot of material on site. We did some exploration drilling, uh, so we have some representative type material that could be used at the early stages, certainly from an ore sorting point of view to to assess the characteristics of the of the mineralization. Because that that would be a great win. If I mean, for example, that difference between gravity from twenty five to fifty percent. I mean, let's. I mean, let's see. You can uh, achieve some uh, level in that range, whether it's thirty or forty percent or whatever it is. It, it'll still be a give you a processing cost benefit. And if the all sorting works to some degree, it'll give you a throughput benefit and a potentially recovery trade-off with the tailings and so all of those would be really useful for the the PA have you um, managed to incorporate any timings or budgets for pre-feasibility study have you have you looked ahead that far yeah you know we certainly and in our, our PA tech report there's obviously recommendations there and the re- recommendations are to advance the project it's clearly got a robust set of economics um, in there there's a, a, a PFS estimate of, of 3.2 million dollars uh, to complete a PFS study we think that can be trimmed back um, to to less, perhaps around two point five million dollars. But that's something that's got to be uh, costed out in a bit more detail, and the PEA itself needs to be designed um, in further detail before we obviously advance um, into that. But we certainly are are aware of the the key things that need to happen: the data collection to water a PFS study, and our building plans around that. Outside of just moving to the PFS, we're obviously looking more carefully now at the permitting side for the project and have initiated some discussions with government around the existing permits and the scope changes we're proposing to the project and how we deal with that from a permitting standpoint and obviously looking toward supplementing some of the environmental baseline data. It's got a obviously a, a really nice repository based on data already, but we will need to do a little bit of additional baseline data and obviously good to start that early on so you stay ahead of things. So we'll be looking toward that for this year as well. Good. And that, that, that brings me neatly on to um, budgets and, and cash position. And um, where are you in, in terms of your uh, headroom? So we, um, you know, we, we've come through a really busy year last year, um, you know, both exploring on the uranium side and this PA on the gold side. We, we are sitting around a half a million dollars in cash. Um, and so we will need to finance, you know, in the in the, the coming quarter um, to to for our plans for 2023. You know, we've naturally held out a little bit um, toward the end of last year, just given the state of the, the market. And we're glad we did. You know, the the gold price has improved. We think the market's improving a bit. So I think we're entering a good time to, to refinance and uh, and start to and continue to advance our assets. I know the quanta will always depend on, or the quantum will always depend on um, the market conditions. Uh, and it's a trade-off between uh, uh, money in and dilution. Um, but if you look at your, let's, your, your budget, your wish list budget for 2023, uh, you've kind of more or less indicated around $3 million for the, um, for the PFS. Uh, you might want to have a little bit more possibly uh, what are you allocating towards the uranium exploration uh, mentally yeah so you know we've 
we've had some really promising results in the uranium projects. We had two projects and we did some initial drill testing there. This is the first pass. It's the first time these these graphitic rocks have ever been tested on these projects. And, and we're applying this Athabasca Basin model and these initial holes saw some really uh, exciting results. You know, we've, we've seen all the right things. We'd want to see all the right geological ingredients. We're getting some uranium. We know these trends we're exploring are uh, prospective, they're fertile. So we would like to continue drilling. Now, the, the work we did in 2022 has helped us get a little bit of focus for, for what we're doing, would like to do this year. Um, so we, we're looking at a more focused budget to follow up on some, some high interest areas. Uh, so to answer your question, in terms of spend there, you know, we'd be looking for anything around two to three million dollars in, in flow through would be sort of a wish list kind of number. We do want to watch dilution. Obviously, our, our share price is low. So we'll, we'll look at, um, you know, that will be discussed with the board and we'll go into financing that will be a disciplined focus spend on the uranium to test some of these priority areas we've identified. And we believe uh, we can make a discovery. Is there a case for um, uh, farming out or selling non-core assets and uh, focusing on the kind of the intrinsic or the embedded value in, in, in gold fields? Um, you know, that must be a discussion you have regularly internally. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's something we've obviously had challenges with. You know, I think we've got some really nice uranium projects that would stand alone in a company and probably attract a valuation of eight to 10 million. You know, looking at other juniors in the basin, we also have a really good gold asset, you know, and we're not getting full value for this, the suite of assets. So the discussion of spinning them out has certainly come up. And we have looked at opportunities for that and been in discussion with, with other parties on that, but nothing that's uh, quite materialized yet into, into doing that. So, you know, for, for, the, for the moment, we, we, you know, committed to our strategy of being diversified and, and looking at the right opportunity to potentially spin that out. You know, the uranium could go to a, a third party through a farm out. Uh, the gold itself, you know, it, you know it's, it's, it's a project that's going to produce around 100 thousand ounces per year it's certainly not the types of numbers that would attract a major but you know certainly the smaller or mid-tier producers might be interested in adding that to their production profile so that could be a avenue for the goldfields project as well in terms of a divestment or bringing on a, a partner from a, a mining company so okay so you're, so you're open to um doing a trade on that as well to kind of almost that that's uh, uh <laughs> I know a company that's done that, which is take their advanced asset and farm out a majority position and get a free carry. Um, and uh, that leaves you free almost as a project generator or a prospect generator or a true kind of grassroots explorer. Yeah, that's right. You know, and our, you know, our, our broader exploration, I mean, our broader sort of business model is really on the exploration development side. You know, we want to be able to generate projects and make discoveries, take those through early stage of development and then realize value that way. So, you know, Goldfields at a stage while we would see that it's obviously warrants uh, um, advancement, we'll, we will continue to do that. But, you know, if the right opportunity comes along to, to bring in a partner, that's something we will look at provided it's a, it's a good deal for our shareholders. And then we, you know, like we've done with our uranium, we can turn to earlier stage projects and bring those through discovery and development. So we, we continually do look uh, for other projects um, uh, from a project generation standpoint and uh, have some, some good ideas for the, the future of the company. But we you know, certainly continue with our current assets and believe we have a nice mix of a development asset that really underpins the value in the company and will 
uh, believe it will grow. And then we have these earlier stage uh, uranium assets that that offer tremendous upside for for uh, investors. It's funny. I wonder whether you'll actually get the value for the gold project unless you commit to doing it on a hundred percent basis, and everything else becomes non-core. Um, because it, the, in some ways, the market likes a sim simple, clear, direct story, which is goldfields is undervalued. We're developing it. Boom! We're going to pack up pick up our lunchbox and put it under our arm and head off to the horizon until this thing is built. Yeah, no, and you know, we certainly recognize that. And, and that is, you know, why we've something been looking at and looked at some options over the last few months on that. So, um, you know, and we will continue to do that uh, to, to realize value for our shareholders. Good. Well, I mean, it's, it's a crucial time, isn't it? Um, uh, I, 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 yeah, I mean, the, the gold market's strong at the moment. Do, do you are you getting interest on the uranium side of things? Do you feel that that's uh, buoyant from the exploration side? Is, is there interest in your portfolio? There certainly is. You know, I think um, you know we, you know, just on that side, we've got a experienced team. Um, myself, I've worked with Denison Mines in Canada for for five years as their VP exploration and been involved with uh, disco two discoveries there. And part of our team, we also have guys who are ex Cameco, next gen, and fission. So we do have a lot of expertise, and I think. Certainly amongst um, the explorers in the Athabasca Basin, they, they know who we are and they've looked at our projects and they recognize what we're doing. Uh, so we, we know we do, we've seen a lot of interest from other companies in, in our approach. We're um, using an exploration model in an area with an amazing amount of uranium endowments. I mean, the Uranium City area has had historical uranium mines, but this Athabasca Basin model for these high-grade deposits hasn't been tested in that area you know the historical mines are of a different type they're these beaver lodge type deposits associated with granites and the graphitic rocks which are these athabasca deposits they they obviously erode negatively they sit in the valleys and no one's gone in those valleys and looked for these deposits and we started drilling those last year and we saw all the right things you know and it's we're an experienced group of guys looking at that we're seeing the, the right rock types the structure the alteration and we're seeing some uranium in these structures. So it's really exciting. We've got a lot of strike potential there, uh, you know, 30 kilometers uh, on strike project, 50 kilometers on the Mermac project, and we've got to continue to test these. And we have some nice ideas and some focus now to go in and, and test some targets there. So, you know, technically we've got a good project. It's tougher to communicate that to the market and get that traction as not a, as you say, a pure play uranium explorer, but I think our projects, um, you know, stand up really well, and uh, we're really excited to advance those. Um, just, just on that uranium. So you've got the Athabasca Basin, and then the the limits of the Athabasca Sandstone, which kind of is when you look at the map. So that's the Athabasca Basin, but it was obviously larger and has been eroded. Um, so are you underneath the kind of the eroded? Are you outside of the the sand the the today sandstone, but underneath where the sandstone used to be? That's 100% correct. Yeah, we, we are sitting right on the margin, that northern margin of the Athabasca Basin. And that basin was certainly much larger. You know, we've seen discoveries on the edge of the basin like Arrow with NextGen, Triple R, so it's just outside the basin. Those settings are very similar broadly to what we're looking at on the northern rim. You've got the same rock types, the right rock types, but it hasn't been tested. So that's exactly what we're exploring. We're looking at not in the sandstone, but in these competent basement rocks. And why those are such good targets is because they're shallow and they're in these competent rocks which allow for conventional mining. If you're finding these high-grade deposits that sit in the sandstone, 
that sandstone's water saturated. So mines like Cigar Lake, MacArthur River, you need freezing complex mining techniques that are costly. Um, whereas if you're just outside the basin, you potentially could even be looking at an open pit scenario or conventional mining, it's going to bring your cost down. So they're very attractive targets. And in our case, they're attractive, not only from a geological point of view, but we're in an area that's had historical uranium mining. You know, it's a, a mining community. So from a permitting side, there's a bit of infrastructure. We have some um, advantages there in terms of there's, there's a power line, hydro power line that runs past both projects, the town of Uranium City offering um, facilities. So we, we really like the, the exploration scenario. We think it's really compelling and they've got some initial results to demonstrate. So we need to keep moving that forward. When I look at your, your maps of, um, on, 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 the, on um, Strike and Momac, there, you've got all of these electromagnetic conductors, um, and my my understanding of Arrow and Triple R is is, is very um, dominated by the um, the structure. You know, you've got the, the, these major shears that run through. Uh, do the Arrow and the Triple R's of this world have the same electromagnetic conductors, and what are they? And are, are they picking out structure? Absolutely, um, structure is key. But you know, both Arrow and Triple R, they also sit on electromagnetic conductors and and those electromagnetic conductors it's picking up the graphite in the rocks and almost all the known Athabasca high-grade deposits um, or have this association with graphitic rocks and that's why people go out and do electromagnetic surveys to pick up the conductors which are the graphitic rocks and that's what they sort of test for these deposits and that's certainly how deposits have been found recent deposits so our you know the geology and the structure is broadly similar to what you're looking at on the southwest portion of the the basin, where you find error. And to, to, do you vector mostly with EM? Is that, is that your principal vectoring tool, your principal exploration asset? Yeah, EM EM provides you with a target horizon, um, but to to target along that EM EM uh, conductor, you need something else. So gravity's been shown to be effective. Uh, you know, in the case of Arrow. Um, that was shown to be effective. We've done gravity and we, we, we've tested some of our gravity targets and obviously getting some results there. Um, otherwise, you're looking at from the drilling itself, getting geochemistry along the EM conductors and then using that geochemistry to help vector into more promising areas. Okay, so the geochemistry will tell you whether you're close or far, um, proximal or distal to an alteration system. That's right. Geochemistry, as well as looking at other features like cross-cutting structure and and uh things of that nature structural settings well the, the uranium sounds interesting although it was quite a flat year for uranium exploration last year i mean a lot of the uranium stocks went sideways or down as well i mean maybe it's just the general risk off um going back to the gold project uh what i, I just wanted to I kind of get a feel in my head for what kind of rock it was and what kind of um mineralizing style and um hardness and freshness and that kind of those kind of questions yeah so uh, you know they're quite simple gold deposits um it's really vein hosted deposits um and these veins they're quartz veins that sit within these granites you know broadly speaking it's an orogenic type model um and what you know what was never done previously was there was never any geological models for these two gold deposits on the goldfield project and that's something we did we 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 Put geological models around these. We spent a lot of time working with ourselves, you know, our team as well as uh, structural experts from SRK Consulting, 
and put together structural models that better reflect or better honor the actual geology of these deposits. And that, those structural models have been the basis for our, our new resource estimates. So they certainly believe they're more reliable, uh, robust resource estimates. But the deposits themselves, um, very simple, just, you know, the, the low strip ratios I mentioned, so they're, they're these wide granitic bodies that have these quartz veins in them, sometimes structurally controlled, occasionally more of a stockwork nature. And uh, there's no deleterious elements, so very low uh, other elements other than gold, which makes it a very simple mineralogy and allows for free milling gold. Dale, thank you. That's that's really interesting. Now, um, tell me about your shareholder register and and who's in the stock at the moment. You know, um, is it uh, have you got any funds in there, uh, uh, or is it largely retail? Um, it, it, some clarity on that would be really helpful. Yeah, we do have, uh, you know, some institutions in there, um, you know, relatively smallish positions there at the moment, obviously looking to grow that side of it. Um, outside of that, it's uh, largely retail, you know, and a lot, a lot of that through, you know, Fortune Bay's board and management uh, and, you know, um, their, their connections. So it's still very tightly held, 15% um, owned by board and management. Um, and just 43 million shares outstanding. So it's a still really tightly held uh, company. And obviously, as we advance and grow our projects, we'll look to expand the shareholder base. Um, but for now, uh, certainly a really tightly held um, company. And um, the bit that I've struggled with is is is, is the strategy and the clarity uh, of what the company is going to be doing, because you've got so much optionality there. In a sense, what I'm... Um, you know, there's, there's, there's Mexico and uranium and gold and development and early stage exploration. Um, can you give me your your kind of investment case pitch, you know, kind of synthesize the investment case, please? Yeah, so we, you know, we first and foremost, we explorers and developers. And we have, uh, you know, we have these two gold projects. Goldfields is our adm most advanced um, project. So that's in the early development stages. We, um, we have the Mexican asset. It's an asset that we can turn to as a pipeline project to unlock value. And we have these early stage uranium projects uh, where, that offer upside potential. So while we are diversified, you know, our strategy is quite simple in terms of we, we look to acquire projects, take them through discovery and developments. And we have a set of projects across that spectrum at the moment from our advanced goldfields project to our earlier stage uh, uranium assets. Very neatly done. Well, there we go. Um, I, why don't we leave it there with that um, as a conclusion? And uh, I look forward to seeing you um, probably once you've done your capital raise. And it'll be interesting to see what your what the the investment community uh, kind of asks you to. You know, your 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 strategy may uh, be molded by interaction with 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 the funds. Um, and we'll be able to see how the next quarter goes in terms of uh, the gold price. But uh, thank you so much for your time today, Dale. Yeah, thanks a lot, Manu.